empowered by God's Spirit to live a life of self-control, of discipline, and again, not just so that you can be like super successful and look down on others, <laughs> but so that you can glorify God ultimately and love others like you should and live the kind of life he wants you to live. It enables us to build character in all areas of our life. Yeah. Uh, if you don't have self-control, man, you are doomed. I want to love my neighbors, myself. I want to do all these great things. And the reason you keep falling on your face is because it's not because you, you lack information or even inspiration. It's because you can't control yourself. Welcome to the podcast called Your Future Self Will Thank You with Drew Dick and Jeremy Slager. With secrets to self-control from the Bible and brain science, this podcast will help you make change that lasts. Your Future Self Will Thank You podcast, self-control and habit building from a distinctly Christian perspective. All right, welcome everyone to the inaugural, the first episode of a new podcast. The name of it is Your Future Self podcast. Our tagline, self-control and habit building from a distinctly Christian perspective. We're excited about this. We think self-control is important. It doesn't mean that we have it all the time. In a second, I'm going to introduce myself and uh, my co-host, Jeremy, is going to introduce himself. Um, Yeah, my name is Drew Dick. I am an author, an editor. I spend my days wrestling words into submission, which takes a lot of self-control. and I don't always have it. Um, And for the last year and a half, I've been thinking about this topic a lot been reviewing as much literature as I can get my hands on when it comes to self-control, including habits and grit and willpower and all these related topics, because I wrote a book about the topic called Your Future Self Will Thank You. Uh, So check it out if you get the chance. Um, And so, yeah, I'm interested in this topic, uh, too, for personal reasons. I've just, you know, I had the experience, which I think a lot of people have had, where you sit down every year uh, before the new year and write out some goals, and then you find like a week later, you've already broken all your resolutions. And so it's one of those frustrating things where I'm just like, and every year I believe like full full on that I was going to make, this was the year I was going to get in like perfect shape. I was going to read my Bible every morning. I was going to pray every day, all this stuff. And then of course I'd fall flat on my face. So I was kind of like, what's going on? I want to understand it better. And that was kind of the genesis of that project. And really it morphed into this podcast too. So, uh, Starting with a little bit of honesty. Jeremy, Jeremy Slager, tell us a little about yourself. All right. Well, you already have my name down. Awesome. Um, I, it's a satisfying name to say, by the way, Slager. <laughs> well, thank you. I always feel a little bit weird saying it. I feel like it mumbles out of my mouth. You'd think after all these years I would have that part down. but <laughs> Hey, no, no sympathy when it comes to last names for me. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Sorry, go ahead. Um, yeah, well, I, I was a pastor for about six years um, in the south side of Chicago, and then now I am a marketer. Um, and for me, I am fascinated by this topic just because I think similar to to your story, I, I like to set goals for myself, but I very seldom actually reach that goal. Every year for years, uh, January 1st rolls around and I have the goal of praying for an hour every morning or memorizing three books of the Bible or even just more mundane goals of waking up when I say I want to wake up every single morning. And then I usually have a couple weeks of it and then it slows down. And so I'm hoping that I can glean from all of your research, not having had to do it myself 
And I can just get some tricks, some tips, um, something from the Bible, maybe something from brain science that can help get a better track record on maybe hitting some of those goals or, if needed, changing those goals to maybe something that's actually a little bit more reasonable. So, Awesome. Yeah, so that's that's me. I don't want to be too grandiose here, but I think when historians look back on this year, in human history, and they see the trend of self-control and discipline sweeping the nation, they'll trace it all back to this first episode of this podcast. I sure hope so. Yeah, well, that might be overstated. Anyway, I, I actually agree with you. I will be happy if I can make a little progress, just get a little bit better, right? Because I think sometimes that's my problem. I shoot for the moon, and then mm-hmm. it's like as soon as I don't like hit my big grandiose goal, I feel bad about myself. But I think what I've discovered, too, is that self-control doesn't have to be that hard, right? I think a lot of people have this negative connotation when they hear the word or the phrase self-control because they think of it as kind of, oh, I should do, I should be better at that. It's like a overdue dentist appointment, right? Mm-hmm. I need to do that. But I think they, they, they build it up in their mind as like you have to be this like ninja level warrior of discipline and self-control and restraint. But I think if you just get a little bit better, it makes a huge difference in your life, spiritually, physically, all the rest of it. So that's what I'm going with. And we're just going to work on making some modest uh, progress. Okay, I think that'd make a big difference. Yeah. Why do you Why do you think that the big goals for self control don't work? Yeah. Oh, that's a great question. And you know, that's um, well, back to the New Year's resolutions. And that's when you know you're you're really optimistic. You're at the beginning of the year. You want to change your life entirely. And that's great, but the problem is that actually sets you up for failure because when you set those huge really? goals, and not only huge goals, you set more than one of them, right? Mm-hmm. And what the the first thing I learned about this topic um, uh, was about willpower. Mm-hmm. And basically, willpower is a finite resource. And what I mean by that is it's something that runs out. It gets exhausted pretty quickly, too. And uh, 20 years ago, there was this famous experiment where um, – uh, researchers put people's willpower to the test that have them do like resist temptation. And it was, it was chocolate chip cookies, if I'm remembering correctly. And then mm-hmm. afterwards they'd have them do this math problem. And the ones that had to resist the cookies first didn't last nearly as long on the math problem as the people that came in fresh. Does that make sense? Oh, interesting. So basically what they found out was there was this thing called willpower and it mm-hmm. was depletable. We kind of think that, Oh, you know, our willpower is at a certain level and, And we can just kind of keep chugging away. But the truth is, we get tired. It runs out. And so, you know, January 1st, you got like five or six goals. And you tackle them all at once. And what you do is you just sap your willpower right off the bat. And then it guarantees, essentially, that you won't meet one of those goals. So that's a big big, um, finding that's actually quite recent. uh, But the people that helps to understand that, hey, you're not a superman or superwoman. (laughs) You've got a certain amount of willpower and you have to conserve it and the good news is you can grow it as well so how do you think uh jonathan edwards did it because if i remember correctly he uh he picked 70 and i don't think he missed them at all right right he probably are there are there some people that are just born uh self-control ninjas and the rest of us schmucks have to to stumble our way along with one goal at a time yeah that's unfortunately the the plain truth of it is there are some people that just have naturally higher levels of self-control. I talked to one uh, sociologist, Brad Wright, and he talked about, well, it's 
the analogy he made was that it's like someone who's just a phenomenal athlete, naturally. They don't go to the gym, they don't really watch what they eat, but they're just amazing. So it's depressing, but it doesn't really help just to kind of go, oh, I want to be like that person. I mean, you still got to go to the gym. So the rest of us that weren't born with Jonathan Edwards levels of self-control, unfortunately, we just have to try a little harder and, and uh, conserve our self-control and grow it. Yeah. So is it, does like the metaphor of athletics and like muscle memory, does, can you press that further into self-control then? Does it, is it something like where it builds on top of its, like, like with exercising that first time you go to the gym, it's awful. But then as you keep going, it gets easier and you can kind of build harder and harder things on top of that. Is it, does self-control work that way too? Like a muscle where it grows in strength? Yes. And actually, the, the two metaphors I heard over and over again as I've talked to, because for this book project, I, I went out there. I'm not an expert in psychology and sociology. That's not my background. I went to seminary. Um, but when I talked to these people, the, the two metaphors I heard over and over, um, or analogies, whatever you want to call them, was uh, self-control is like a battery. I already touched on mm-hmm. that a little bit. It runs out, right? Um, and you don't want to drain your batteries too quickly by piling mm. on more than you can handle. And then the second metaphor is like, it's like a muscle. Mm. So basically what you're saying, and that is, um, it gets tired, right? Uh, you can't just sit there and, and, and do bench press all day. You're gonna, yeah. even if you're like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, but the good news is, of course, like a muscle, it can strengthen, it can grow, especially if you're consistent and disciplined and doing the same tasks get easier the more you do them. Mm. One other piece of research, I don't want to get too, too heavy here, but that mm-hmm. is important. And a lot of listeners, I think, have probably heard of this, is the marshmallow experiment. This mm-hmm. was huge. This was an experiment that um, researchers did in the 1960s, and it kind of put this topic of self-control on the map for a lot of people. So this yeah. is it in a nutshell. I won't explain the whole thing. A lot of people have already heard about it. But basically, they got these like preschoolers, four- and five-year-olds, into a, a lab, and they put in front of them, this is kind of cruel, a marshmallow or some other tasty treat. And they said to the kids, okay, here's the deal. You can eat the marshmallow right now. Go ahead. It's all yours. Or if you can hold out for like 20 minutes, we'll give you two marshmallows. Okay. So they're trying to test their, their self-control. The funny thing is almost none of the kids could do it. Like, I mean, most of them <laughs> shoved it in their mouth right away. Right. Cause four-year-olds, they don't have much self-control. Um, and so, you know, they did the experiment and it was interesting. There were some kids that that held out longer than others, a couple that made it all the way to the end, but most of them didn't. And they they kind of gauged them on this, this spectrum of self-control. Well, that wasn't the big finding, though. The big finding would come totally by accident and many years later. The lead researcher um, had daughters that were in the same class as a lot of these kids that participated in the experiment. And he noticed as his daughters got older, they would tell him stories about these, these participants in the study and how their lives were turning out. Turns out the kids that ate the marshmallow right away weren't doing so well. They were taking drugs, drinking too much, getting bad grades, getting in trouble, antisocial behavior, you name it. The ones that could held out the longest were rock stars. They were like scoring way better in school. They had better friendships. They were kinder, more sacrificial, all these other things. So they tracked down hundreds of these participants and they tracked them through junior high, high school, and even into adulthood. And what they found was amazing that all these, what they call favorable life outcomes, right? Like better relationships, higher income, better health, 
even like body mass index was better for the kids that had better self-control, even at four or five years old. The amazing thing about this is if you look at the social sciences, very few things about your childhood, thank goodness, are predictive of how your life is going to go as an adult. Okay. But this was incredibly predictive. And at that point, you know, psychologists thought it was all about IQ. Okay, if you got a high IQ, you're going to have a great life, right? And, and, and then there was a whole movement about self-esteem. Okay, if you just believe you're the best, you're going to have a great life. Mm-hmm. Self-control wasn't even on the radar, but it turns out it was far more powerful than anyone thought. And so just from a natural perspective on how your life is going to go, if you can fortify your self-control, you are going to experience a lot less suffering and a lot more success. So I've got a a follow-up question to that. Um, So I have a six-year-old and a three-year-old boy. And after reading the the first chapter of your book, Your Future Self Will Thank You, I decided I wanted to know, do they have this baseline self-control? I love it. And so I tried it with the six-year-old. And I didn't go the full 20 minutes. I went about six minutes with him. And... He looked at the marshmallow and it seemed almost like a game to him. Like he thought it was hilarious that I would even do this to him. So he like pulled the marshmallow to pieces. At one point, he actually stuffed it in his shoe. I think <laughs> to try and like, okay, this is gross now. So now I'll get this marshmallow and I'll get a free marshmallow. And he made it the Smart. whole six minutes. Wow. Smart too. And I tried it with my three-year-old and he grabbed the marshmallow he took it. He brought it close to him. He sniffed it for a little bit. I think he licked it. And then, so I was recording this, and then he got up from the chair, saw there was a camera, and then did a little dance in front of the camera, and then sat back, back down and actually waited until I came back. It was about three minutes. Are you saying that both of my kids are going to have favorable life outcomes? You know are, they, are they guaranteed for success now because... They just have a baseline self-control. And what does it mean for kids who don't pass the test? Is there anything that we can learn about self-control to to help the kids that are not born with it and also the ones that are to make sure that they use their self-control for the right things? That's great. I admire you for doing that with your kids. I'm too scared to do it with mine. I got young kids too, as you know. <laughs> I don't want to know. Um, no, and that's awesome. And yes, and, and if they pass the marshmallow test. That means you can retire right now. They're going to be tremendously wealthy and they can support you. Okay. Um, that. That's awesome. Great. No, uh, that's, that's, don't do that. But that's pretty cool. And it's, it's interesting because the original experiment, kids did similar things. They employed these coping mechanisms to deal with the temptation. There were some that would like, yeah, sniff it. There were a couple kids that like would pick it up and pet it like it was like a, a little animal or something. Uh-huh. And the others would like kind of pull their hair or look away from it. And, you know, all these things. It's hilarious yeah. um, to see. But, yeah, that, that's a good sign. You know, another interesting study I just read recently. This was like a couple of years old now. It, it, they redid the, the marshmallow experiment. Um, but they looked at um, the, the caregivers of these parents who were mm-hmm. administering the test. And they found something really interesting. They found that if they had trusted caregivers, that is, if, they're, if they really trusted their parents, they did better on the test. Isn't that interesting? So um, for me, it's interesting because I've read also a lot of uh, literature about how we relate to God in a similar way that we relate to our parents, right? And um, it, it just, it shows me that, you know, as a Christian, if you really, if you truly trust God, if yeah. you 
you believe in his in his sovereignty, in his the, the fact that he loves you, he's looking out for you. Sometimes it can fortify your self control. I believe that. Yeah. Um, so anyway, that that's an interesting uh, part of it too. So it may not just mean that your your kids have great self control. It may, might mean this is even better news that you're a good parent. Hey, <laughs> they, they trust you. I'm gonna take that. <laughs> take it. That's awesome. Put that on a little plaque and set it on my desk. My that's kids passed the marshmallow test. I'm an awesome parent. <laughs> you you should make a bumper sticker, you know, instead of like <laughs> my kid's an honor roll student. My kid passed the marshmallow test. That is a great idea. That's cool. Okay, so yeah, man, we're covering a lot of ground. I love it. Um, uh, I want to say a few words about how this relates to our life as Christians too, because yeah. I think it's easy just to think of this as like, okay, in naturalistic terms. Uh, self-control is important. The studies show that uh, we want to develop it. It's like a muscle. The more we we practice self-control and do hard things, our self-control is going to yeah. grow. We want to yeah, be I smart. I think it's self-control tells you that you can go in the direction that you want to go, but <laughs> we have to decide. Like we have to know what's the right direction. Right. Exactly. And from a biblical perspective, uh, there are a few catches, right? We can't mm -hmm. just use self-control. Okay, I'm going to get this awesome discipline. And I'm going to become a billionaire and I'm going to just like, I don't know, uh, lord it over other people and brag about myself, right? Yeah. Because biblically speaking, I've already failed the most important self-control test. And that is to put myself aside, to die to myself, <laughs> right? To put others first, right? Yeah. So biblically speaking, you got to start with your priorities straight. You got to mm -hmm. put God first, others first. Um, you have to resist impulses that are that are selfish and base, right? And I, I think it's so interesting that Paul uh, describes self-control as the fruit of the spirit, mm -hmm. because yeah, you would think just naturally you'd think, okay, self-control is all about me. I've got to. I mean, after all, it's self-control, right? Yeah. But in the in in Paul's uh, analogy, and it is an analogy, he's saying it's like a tree, right? That's that's planted. And it bears fruit. It calls it a fruit of the spirit. So as we're connected to God, to kind of flesh out the the metaphor, as we're connected to God, this is a fruit that grows in our life. Mm -hmm. And I, I know that's true. Like, I mean, I know that when I start my day with prayer and, and reading scripture, I exercise more self-control in other areas as well. Yeah. Right. Um, and that's not just like a trick or a life hack. I think it's crucial because you're reminded of the priorities. You're also, I believe, on a very uh, mystical level, empowered by God's spirit to live a life of self-control, of discipline. And again, not just so that you can be like super successful and look down on others, <laughs> um, mm -hmm. but so that you can glorify God ultimately and love others like you should and live the kind of life he wants you to live. So that is hugely important. Do you think there's any reason why in that list of the fruit of the spirit, Paul starts with love and then he kind of like sneaks self-control in at the very end? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. Yeah. And I've read the commentaries on that passage and uh, it's kind of all over the map. Uh, mm -hmm. Some people say, well, you know, you got to obviously love is, is most important and uh, gentleness and all these other great virtues. Um, and then at the end, it's like self-control. Okay, now you got to go out and do it. Maybe that's uh -huh. one interpretation. Uh, I think another thing about all those things, they're all interpersonal, right? I mean, yeah. they're all things that are essential for harmony uh, in, in relationships in a family, in a church, what have you. And self-control is definitely one of those virtues, right? Like, can you be, mm -hmm. can you be honest without self-control or kind or loving or peaceable? I would say no, right? It's, 
what some researchers, uh, researchers have called an instrumental virtue. That is, it facilitates all the other virtues. Uh, that's why it's so important, and that's why I'm psyched about this topic, um, is because it enables us to build character in all areas of our life. Yeah. Uh, and if you don't have self-control, man, you are doomed <laughs> from the start. Yeah, you'll never get to love, joy, peace, and patience without self-control to build off of that. Exactly. Right. That's that's totally yeah, right. Because that, that sinful nature is going to try and turn you in a direction towards sin. And if you don't have that self-control to say, no, I want to go in, I want to follow what God wants for me. I want to love. I want to have joy. I want to have peace. You'll never get there. Yeah. And I think a lot of us Christians, especially if you've been a Christian for a while, you're like, you know what God wants you to do, right? Yeah. And you're inspired to do it. And you're like, oh man, I want to be like Jesus. I want to be more like Jesus. I want to love my neighbor as myself. I want to do all these great things. And the reason you keep falling on your face is because it's not because you, you lack information or even inspiration. It's because you can't control yourself. Yeah. Um, and you, you, you kind of fall back in old habits. You take the easy way out. And so, so that's, again, why self-control is so important. Well, man, we're, we're going to keep this short, and we've kind of burned through most of our time. <laughs> that went fast, and I'm and I was probably ranting and rambling a little bit, but I'm 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 hoping that you that everyone listening to this can sense our passion for it and are getting a little glimpse of the excitement and the importance of this topic. Mm-hmm. Um, future episodes, we're going to get a little more practical too, and talk about how you can implement strategies to improve your self control and live a life of discipline. Um, I want to end with a quote. And it's a quote from someone you've never heard of because he was my 10th grade English teacher. Okay. I I didn't like him, by the way. He was like really tough grader. Uh, Anyway, uh, I've gotten over it. His name was Mr. Soligar, but he had this quote and somehow it stuck in my lazy teenage brain. He said, whenever you lose control, someone else always finds it. And I like that. And he explained it. He basically meant that, like, okay, if you lose control of your behavior in class, I'm going to send you to the principal's office. You're going to go to detention. Someone else is going to control you. If you get really crazy and you break the law, cops are going to show up and they're going to confine you. Right. And I've realized that's a principle that applies to all of life. When you lose control over your behavior, someone else or something else comes along to control you. So, another great reason to develop self control you don't want other people. To control your life. Our next episode is going, we're going to talk about the role of purpose, how that kind of informs and drives self-control, having an overriding purpose. We're also going to talk about uh, what researchers called sanctified goals. Fascinating stuff and super important when it comes to setting goals that are important and goals that you're actually going to reach. And again, I got to put into plug for the book. The title is Your Future Self Will Thank You. Secrets to Self-Control from the Bible and Brain Science. Uh, You can head over to Amazon or just about anywhere they sell books and order a copy. Uh, I get into a lot more detail there. Um, But I appreciate your time, and we'll see you next time. You have been listening to the Future Self Podcast. If you enjoyed what you just heard, subscribe and leave a review wherever you find your podcasts. Your Future Self Podcast self-control, and habit-building from a distinctly Christian perspective. We'll see you next time.